That's Corinda Cameron. Let's give her a huge hand. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn over to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to get to there in just a moment. Hey, we have a very special gift for all of you. Uh, when you head out today, I want to thank Jonna Fox for this. We wanted something that you could remember this experience with the West Side. So we have a Christmas ornament for all the families here. And it's a little bingo paddle. So it's got bingo on one side and West Side 2015 on the other. All right? So uh, make sure you pick that up on the way out. And I want to thank uh, Jonna uh, for putting in all that time to make that happen. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're here today because uh, we love you, and what an amazing reminder. Uh, just hallelujah for what you have done for us through your Son. So Lord, I pray for these next few minutes as we get into your word, Lord, that you'll be with me. And Lord, we pray that all glory goes to you and the Savior of the world. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, uh, I'll tell you one of the things that I absolutely love ever since I was a kid, and that is I love movies. Anybody else here love movies? Am I the only one? Good. A few of you. So one of the things that's really heart-tugging with a lot of movies are the goodbyes. And there's some classic goodbyes that make movies and just kind of set them apart. Uh, For example, who would ever forget Elliot saying goodbye to E.T.? Do you remember that? And uh, this is a tough one for a lot of folks. It's when Frodo said goodbye to all his friends on the boat. A lot of you that are younger or older are like, who's Frodo? Okay, so on Lord of the Rings. And then, of course, one of the saddest goodbyes ever, Rose saying goodbye to Jack Popsicle in the Titanic, if you remember. (laughs) Poor Jack, there he goes. And then probably the most classic goodbye of all time, when Rhett Butler said goodbye to Scarlett O'Hara. And do you remember those famous words? Frankly, Scarlett, you're getting on my nerves, okay? <laughs> you getting a little nervous out there, aren't you? But I want you to think about the power of goodbyes. Winnie the Pooh said this, how lucky, I am, how lucky I am to have something that means saying goodbye so hard. And then Peter Pan, never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. This morning, I want to talk about what I think is the most ultimate, epic goodbye in the history of mankind. But just like a movie, before we get to that ultimate goodbye, I think we need to go all the way back to the beginning. So turn with me over to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to explain why the ultimate goodbye is so important for everybody in this room. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, is a terrible scene. You remember... Uh, God has put Adam and Eve in paradise. It is a perfect world. And uh, one of the other things he also does is he gives man the freedom of what? Choice. And when he gives man the freedom of choice, because of who we are, we have a tendency to screw that up. I mean, really, they only had to keep one command, and they blew that. And so it's interesting that at one point, they're without clothes, and there was no shame. And then when they basically walked away from God and the first sin enters the world, they realize in shame that they didn't have any clothes on. And then they did something that was ridiculous. They thought they could actually hide from God. And so here they are, uh, maybe slouched in the bush. We don't know exactly where they were hiding. Um, But can you really hide from God, the creator of the universe? And God asked this profound question. And the question is, where are you? Now remember, 
This is not a physical question. God knows where they are. This is a spiritual question. He's saying, from your soul, where are you? And you know where they are? They're lost. When you don't know where you are, you're lost. And if you're lost, you need help. Now, I'm speaking to men here. If you are lost and you need what? Help. But it's a sad story because as we're going to go through, we're going to see time and time again, God reaches out to his people and he cries out to them, first of all, do you know where you are? And ask for help and I'm there for you. And man just continually, consistently walks away from God and wanders away from God. My daughter, my oldest daughter, Rachel, when she's really small, probably about three years old, she absolutely loved to play the game hide-and-seek. And, and uh, you know how dads play hide-and-seek, you know? So I'd say, okay, I'm going to count to ten. One, two, two and a half. I think I'll go make a sandwich. Three, three, and, and I'd go through this whole thing, and then I'd say, ready or not, here I come. And within three steps, I'd hear, here I am. <laughs> and I'd walk back. She'd like, she have like a blanket over, and I'd say, okay, Rachel, here's how the game works. You hide, and I'll find you but don't tell me where you're at. And I hear a giggle. I got it, I got it. We go back. One, two. Ready or not, here I come. Here I am. Okay, we're playing wiffle ball. You know, I'm, we're done with it. Okay. All of us can relate to playing high and go seek, but you know what's sad is we do that a lot with God. We play high and go seek with God as if we can hide from God. We can't hide from God. And so man continues in his pursuit of God and he just keeps falling down. You get to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and we read these verses. And the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So God reaches out to man again. He says, okay, now I'm going to give you a nation. Someday you will be not just a nation. You will be a nation that if you continually follow me, you will be a nation that will bless the entire world. And those that are against you, but do not show disrespect to you, I will bless them. So through Abraham, he says, if you are trying to find me, I'm going to do everything I can, and I'm going to raise up a nation. And you think, great, great things are going to happen for those that are pursuing God. And yet 500 years later, the Israelites are still in captivity, and they're crying out to God, and they're saying, please free us from this bondage. Please give us the nation that you promised. And God raises up another leader, and his name is what? Moses. And you get to Exodus chapter, chapter 14, and I want you to just let this sink in of how powerful this is. You know the story, if you watch the Ten Commandments, that uh, Moses had this battle with Pharaoh, and there were ten plagues, and finally Pharaoh just surrendered. He said, listen, take all of the people and leave. I don't know if God, your God, has a promised land for you, but I could care less. Just get away from me. And so they began on their journey over the Red Sea, through the Red Sea, to find the promised land. And you can only imagine the adrenaline rush of finally having their own nation and their own land. There was only one huge problem. Pharaoh reneged on his deal. 
It says his heart hardened, and he decided to go after the Israelites. And do you remember the scene here in Exodus 14? What a powerful scene. They are making their way to the Red Sea. They're in this valley, and in the distance, they actually can hear the chariots. And they can hear the, the, the Philistines just bearing down on them. And you know, all of a sudden, in their minds, they're thinking, I cannot believe God has brought us to this spot to die. We would be better off to just be slaves. And as they are just crying out to Moses, listen to the word from God through Moses to his people, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see that the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, when you have seen today, you will never see them again. Forever. The Lord will fight for you while you kept silent. His lesson is learn to be still. Learn that when life is bearing down on you, to let God fight for you. I know what's going on with a lot of folks, not just here, but on the east side and in churches all over town, is they're putting on a pretty good front, but deep inside, it feels like you're almost suffocating with pain. And there's something bearing down on you. Maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's you're so far from God that you've come here this morning or others are going to other churches and they have drifted so far away from God and they don't realize, and this is amazing, that if you will just surrender your anxiety to God, he wants to fight for you. Think about that. God wants to fight for you. No matter what you're going through, he wants to fight for you. And that is huge. And when they began to comprehend that, and when they were absolutely still, they realized God was in control. Now, if I were the leader of Moses, and I'm looking at all these people, and I just see the Egyptians bearing down on me, do you know what I would be asking them to do? Pick up sticks, pick up rock. I would try to defend myself. And isn't it amazing? Moses said, you're not a warrior. That's not your job. Your job is to let God do what God can do. So you would think that now they're moving towards the promised land, that they would reconnect with God, but they don't. Once again, they began to drift as a people completely away from God. Another 400 years goes by, and now they're crying one more time, Lord, we'll, we'll clean up our act, just give us a king. Just give us a, a king that will free us, a king that will go into lands and conquer lands, and God raises up a king. And you know his name. His name was David. And I won't read the entire text, but let me just share briefly the story. You've heard it a thousand times in 1 Samuel 17. And David, the little boy, and his occupation was what? He was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest. He was the one picked on. And yet he stood up against the giant. And he took the giant down. Now, this is totally theory. This is what I taught when I was in youth ministry years ago. Uh, But... Tradition says, so I'm going to stick with it, that uh, Goliath actually had four brothers. Did you ever hear this story? Tradition says that there was a whole family of giants. And so when David reached five stones and he put him in that satchel, you know what he was doing? You send the baddest guy you got, and then you keep sending them, and I'll knock every one of them down. Now, is that true? I have no idea. But it preaches well, doesn't it? But I want you to just think about this. It's still an amazing lesson. They cried for a king, and they got a giant killer. 
Matter of fact, it's interesting. In Acts 13, 22, it said, he was a man after God's own heart. They had the king. But here's the problem. It's the problem that a lot of people, and the rut that a lot of people fall into. Was David perfect? No. Far from it. And yet people lifted him up, and they put him on a pedestal, and their faith crumbled. Folks, i got to be honest with you. That's a dangerous thing to do in our lives. Don't put anybody on a pedestal. Don't put a leader, don't put a president, and seriously, don't put a minister on a pedestal because they will let you down. I know, I've known a lot of ministers, and I'm going to tell you right now, they're human. People are human. And, you know, let's be fair here. How many of you here have let somebody down this year? Am I the only one? Good. You're all sinners. Let's be honest. We're all in the same boat. We all let people down, and this is such a valuable lesson. As they're trying to find God, they have to find God outside of a king. And then you move to what David did for them. As David was dying, God says, there's blood on your hands, but he had this amazing dream that in 2 Chronicles, he was going to build a temple. So he lays out plans for this amazing temple. Now just listen to God's word in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. When Solomon, his son had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace that he has succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord. The Lord appeared to him at night and he said, I've heard your prayer. I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And when I shut up from the heavens so that there will be no rain or command locusts to devour the land. And then I love this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive them of their sin. I will heal their land. You see what God's doing? I'm going to give you not a second chance, not a third chance. I'm going to keep giving you chances to draw near to me. And now you have a temple to worship me. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this temple. It took 30,000 Israelites and 150,000 Canaanites seven years to construct it. Today, it would cost somewhere between four and six billion dollars to build that temple. And yet, they still drifted from God. And then, last of all, through the Old Testament, God gives us the prophets. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 6, it says this. And he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. Surely he took on our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But you pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. For we are like sheep that have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity for us all. You know what Isaiah is saying? You're never going to figure this out. You are never going to get it right. So I will send my son. It is the only way to save you. He will be pierced. His wounds will heal you. And he will bear your sins because as mankind... You cannot handle it. Now, I want you to think briefly what God has just done for everyone in this room and what he did for the Israelites. He gave them paradise, 
and they blew it. He gave them the promise of a nation, and it didn't matter. Then he gave them the nation, and they blew that. He gave them a king. He gave them a temple. He gave them consistent and continual warnings from the prophets, and it didn't matter. Do you know why? Because when you are lost, you need help. Some of you this morning, that may be where you're at. You need help. And you know where the help's going to come from? It's going to come from Jesus Christ. That was the answer. God knew from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15, he said, here's the deal. I'm going to let this play out, but at the end of the day, it's going to be my son that will save you. But in order for Jesus Christ to come to us, something amazing had to happen, and it's something that we don't like to think about. In order for the most epic, ultimate goodbye to take place, something had to happen. We always love to sing songs, and we should at Christmas, about this little precious child in a manger. But here's what we need to understand. Christmas did not begin in a manger. Christmas began with the ultimate goodbye, because God had to say goodbye to his son to come to us on earth. Did you ever think about that? Tom, a few weeks ago when we were talking about this Christmas series, he shared this concept I had never thought of before. And he said, really, when you think about it, this is like a parent saying goodbye to their child before they go to war. This is what God did for us. Let that sink in, what that really means. In 2003, Sunday fell on December 7th, and the little church that I was at in uh, Illinois, I say little, it's a, ch a church about 300, you know, it was a big church, you know, uh, and we have an 8 o'clock service, and a, a, I think it was a 9.30 service. The 8 o'clock service were a lot of seniors, not seniors in high school, seniors, okay, and um, it was just a funny group. I remember I actually would move the pulpit 30 feet down the aisle, because they all sat in the back row about four rows. I mean, they just got as far away from the minister as they could. I mean, didn't know what that was all about. So I, I just scoot this big, you know, the pulpit all the way down. And this particular Sunday, I said, you know, before I get into the message this morning, I would rather listen to what some of you experienced on December 7th, 1941. I would like to hear what memories you have. And there was a guy that very seldom spoke. His name was Chick Holmes. And Chick Holmes was a man's man. I mean, he's one of these guys that probably gained 10 pounds from high school till the 60s. Don't you hate those guys? You know, he was a construction guy. And he's one of these guys, he never talked in church. But as soon as he got out the church doors, he's just like, this. he's one of those guys, okay? And he spoke up. And it was the coolest thing. And he said, yeah, I know exactly what I was feeling on December 7th in 1941. I said, well, Chick, why don't you tell us about that? He said, well, um, me and a few buddies, we... Skip church, to be honest with you, and um, we were playing football out there at the high school, right there in that yard. Everybody knew exactly where somebody goes. So we're out there playing football. It was sunny, a little chilly in the, in the air, but it was, it was a great day. And he said, there's a couple of my other buddies, and they're standing by their cars. And all of a sudden, they started screaming, get over here, get over here. He said, we all ran to their car. And all of a sudden, they started breaking the news of Pearl Harbor. He said, it just got real quiet. He said, then one of my buddies said, we're going to war. He said, a few seconds went by. He said, all of a sudden, they started looking at one another. He said, no, we are going to war. They were seniors in high school. And he said, that day, my life changed forever. 
Well, there's countless men and women who go to war. And there's countless men and women who have to say a goodbye like no other goodbye. Because when they say goodbye, there's a very real chance they'll never see each other again. Can you imagine that kind of goodbye? So we have a video that we want to show you this morning of a couple of gentlemen at Sherwood Oaks uh, that want to share what they experienced when they had to say that goodbye. Well, I was drafted in uh, 1966 in August. I was trained as a combat engineer. When I got finished with that, I got papers to go directly to Vietnam. And that was, wasn't a shock because everybody in our unit went to Vietnam. I was assigned to, when I got to Vietnam, uh, the 4th Infantry Division, and as it turned out, they put me in administration, so I was in support. So I didn't have to fight, but I remember the 30 days before I left. That, that really shocked you, you know, when you realize uh, you gotta stand up and be a man finally, you know. That was real tough. My mother was uh, very anxious. I'm going to the uh, draft board and tell them I'm, I'm, I'm enlisting. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to a funeral with my grandfather's, and they said, that's fine. I said, would you go to the funeral, you have your parents bring you back to Fort Harrison, and you can say goodbye to them. And that's exactly what I did when, when they brought me back to Fort Harrison. I had a little time with them, and uh, my mom gave me a hug, and I said, I said, I don't have any idea where I'm gonna be. They had no phone, and I had to write them. I said, I'll write you as soon as I know where I'm at. They said goodbye. My dad said, don't get shot. You know, every day you read the reports and all these guys are getting hurt and killed in Vietnam and you know that you don't know where you're gonna go. You have no idea until you get there. And uh, so those days leading up to it were a little anxious. And I'll never forget the day that I left. My mother and my aunt, my aunt lived with us. They drove me to the Monroe County Airport and I took a DC-3 to Chicago. Now that's the first time I'd ever been on an airplane. That was tough taking off that day. Flying in a DC-3 and it was early in the morning, it was dark. You know, you take off, I mean, you don't know whether you'll ever come back. I mean, I went there knowing that combat engineers are the guys that get snipered. I used to write my mom all the time and tell her what was going on, you know, if you could. And they probably when a day went by, she probably didn't pray for me. You wonder, you know. I mean, I, I'd say, well, someone's watching over me because it was a funny feeling. If I'd get in a crack where I thought maybe I couldn't get out, I'd get out. You know, so why? So many times, the things that happened, I knew if, if they hadn't been looking over me, I'd have been dead. It's a pretty profound thought when you think of Christmas and we think of this baby in a manger that in order for that to happen for everybody in this room, God had to say goodbye to his son. And if you think about it, when he sent him, it was as though he was sending him to war. He was sending him to die. And we don't think enough about that. And, and again, I know it's the Sunday of Christmas. I know that. And, and I would love to preach it just to feel good, ha, ha, ha. But I, I really want you to experience this. I want you to realize what God did 
for us. And it's the same question he asked all the way back in the garden. Where are you? Where are you this morning? For some of you, you've got to answer that question. You may have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and this is a day you can do that. For some of you, you're trying to hide from God, and you know that. And we want you to know we're always here just to pray with you and to help you move. But no matter what, everybody in this room, we need to be thankful because God was willing to send his son to die for us. And that's what Christmas is all about. We're going to sing an invitation hymn. And if there's anybody who has a decision to make, we're going to be here for you. Uh, but we also want you to know in a few minutes we're going to have communion. And it's also a time for you to just surrender to God and what he has done for you. Let's stand and let's sing.